Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. Create one-on-ones your reps will thank you for and use Exvoyant to help your sales managers create unique plans for every rep on your team. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we've got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today we're joined by one of my favorite voices in sales. Josh Braun is the founder and CEO of Sales DNA. Sales DNA is a go-to resource for sales leaders who want their teams to increase cold outreach response rates and ultimately set more meetings. Josh is one of those guys that walks his talk. He's led sales teams of all sizes, and now he's helping others by teaching them what he has done and continues to do. I'm a fan of Josh's content and his approach to sales development in general, and I'm not alone in this regard. Josh speaks at many of the biggest conferences, hosts his own podcast that we'll talk about today, and is one of the top voices in sales. I'm super excited for this conversation. Josh, welcome to our show, and thank you so much for joining us, man. Rob, if you could just read that to me every morning when I wake up, that would be just a great way to start my day. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. That was fantastic. Dude, it's all truth, man. I'm a fan of what you're doing. I, I'll tell, I'll, I'll tell our, our, our listeners now, and I'll tell them again at the end, if you're not following Josh, uh, do yourself a favor and start today. I, I don't know which of my favorites is what you do. I love your I Teach My Wife to Sales series that you do. That's awesome. Um, and, and then just your, you have great tips that come through, videos and, and written stuff. Like You know what you're doing, and that's why I wanted you on is you have this uncanny ability, Josh, to simplify, demystify the sales process and make it so people don't feel like I'm selling or being sold to. Rob, I mean, you are so good for my ego. You know, we might be best friends after that. You call me every day. It's the Rob app, and you open the Rob <laughs> app, and it just starts to give you affirmations. It's such a great way to start the day. Thank you so much, Rob. I really appreciate that. No problem, man. We're going to have a great talk today. Our listeners that we have on, we have tons of sales leaders around the world and people that aspire to be sales leaders. And I think you help solve what I think is the most important part of the sales process. I mean, there's a lot of things that goes into it, but the better you start, the better you finish, right? Absolutely. I 100% agree. So can you start off by just telling our listeners about sales DNA and what you guys do and where you fit? Yeah. I'll start actually by asking you a question if I could. Hit me. And uh, we'll explain how I do in the context of a story. So have you ever had Jägermeister? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> so Jägermeister is an interesting brand. You, you probably had Jägermeister. When, when, did you la- when was the last time you had it? Do you remember? Was it like at a party or like some crazy event? It would have been a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Usually people have Jägermeister at like a big party or like a big event or in college when they're doing something crazy. Um, they don't really drink it for the taste, right? You don't really drink Jaeger Micro for the taste. They, they drink it for the experience. And it's interesting. Jaeger, even though it tastes terrible, is one of the most popular brands in the world because even though it's not better, it's different. And that's what the problem that we see a lot with cold outreach, right? We're a sea of vanilla ice cream scoops in a sea of vanilla ice cream scoops. And so the idea here is that you don't necessarily have to be better, 
but you do have to be able to be creative and you have to be a Jägermeister. You have to be able to stand out in a way that's going to be able to get people's attention. And that's why I created the company uh, because I've been the recipient of lots of white vanilla ice cream outreaches uh, that get ignored. And companies have a really great way to help people, but because they're just vanilla scoops, um, they get ignored. So we teach people how to be the cherry scoop. The cherry yeah. scoop. I was going to ask you, what's the desired flavor? That's what I was going to ask you now. Is, cherry, is it the Rocky cherry Road? Scoop. Cherry. Okay, we're going cherry. Scoop. cherry. Right. Scoop. That's why I created a company uh, to, do, to uh, help do workshops and training to help people stand out in the sea of same. Love it. You know what? That's If we just talk about that and nothing else, how, how, how are you an apple to everybody else's orange, right? Um, that will be a killer conversation because there's a lot of talk about differentiation. But honestly, Josh, I think most of it's talk. I think people struggle to actually put that into practice. You make a good point, and you can't just be different to be different, right? You have to be different in a way that's meaningful. Um, I'll, give, I'll give you an example. Um, just to say that you're, you know, you're, you're peach-flavored. If someone doesn't really care that you're peach-flavored, it doesn't yeah. really matter because it's not meaningful to them. U-Haul actually did a really good job of this. I was on the road about three or four months ago, and I saw a U-Haul truck, and behind it, it showed that their loading dock was actually a little bit lower than the I've seen that. I've seen it. See yeah. That? So that's, that's a really meaningful differentiation, right? That was interesting and really well communicated. There was like a before or after, you know, the competitor and us, this is before and this is after. And it showed that was easier to load in with a, in, a, in a graphical way. It's a great example of, of being different. Um, the Jaeger story is a great example of being different. We could talk about lots of different examples, but the differentiation has to be meaningfully different. And then you have to communicate it in a way that's entertaining. Um, it's not just enough to tell people, that you're different. You actually have to show them in very creative ways. Uh, so my roots are in education and teaching. I used to be a former elementary school teacher. And that's another challenge that I see people have is they may know the subject matter, but they don't know how to communicate, communicate it in a way that's interesting. So they end up sounding like, you know, Ben Stein of Ferris Bueller fame. I was, I was at a college not too long ago listening to college professors talk and they knew their domain, but they just couldn't teach. They had the PowerPoint slides. They're flipping through it. They just didn't know how to teach and communicate in a way that gets people to care. And there's a skill to that, just like selling. There's a no skill. And there's an art in explaining things in ways that are interesting and entertaining. Without a doubt. So uh, you, you brought up something I want to I get to, and then we'll get into what we'll talk about today. This is awesome. Thank you for telling us about the sales DNA. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll just be the first to say, if you haven't checked out some of his content, check it out. And, and some of your resources, I, I, I'm always forwarding your stuff to my head of sales. And so – Sales leaders, you're going to want to check out what Josh and, and, and Sales DNA does. But let's, before we get into it, Josh, you, you mentioned you used to be in education. You've had an interesting journey. You've worked for some really cool organizations as the head of sales before you started this. Could you just take very quickly, like, your, your sales journey? Did, did you find sales or did it find you? And how did that lead you to starting your company? Yeah, so my first sales job was I was actually selling to five-year-olds. What? The love of reading and writing. So my prospects were five-year-olds and I was an elementary school teacher. And the epiphany that I had when I was a teacher was that my boss wasn't actually my principal. My boss was actually the students. Just like your boss is not actually your sales manager, your boss is actually your prospects. And so where a lot of salespeople get this wrong is that they don't really know the boss. And when you don't know your boss, you end up communicating in ways that don't connect with your boss. And so I learned very early on in my sales journey what really mattered to kids. Uh, by way of example, I saw that uh, a lot of the students like to just lie down on their backs for whatever reason during class. 
And so what I would do is I would just put poems on the ceiling and we would actually have them read the poems. And so really being tuned into my customer's world so I could read their mind, um, I think attributed a lot to my joy and love of teaching. Um, that's really the core of, of everything that I've done in sales is to really understand the prospect's world, the prospect's job at what I call a really crispy level. And a lot of people uh, gloss over that. Uh, they get some stuff from marketing, some persona stuff, and then they start to talk in market jargon. And they don't really know that their prospects like to read things on the ceiling. Those are only nuggets that you can get when you actually observe people and when you actually talk to people. Um, so in my whole sales career, I started out as an elementary school teacher. I've always been focused on what exactly is the job my prospect is trying to get done and how do I help them do it better? And in order to do that, I got to really understand their world. So I would observe them. I would talk to them. I would interview them. I'm really big, as you know, on you know, kind of jobs to be done stuff. And, uh, and empathy is really at the heart of selling. Um, but a lot of people kind of skip that step. Um, so, so roots in education. And then from there, I, uh, roots in entertainment. I actually worked at Nickelodeon Studios for a while. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. My kids love it. you. My kids automatically love you now, man. <laughs> and, and for clarity, when I say work there, I mean I cut fruit um, on the set of Clarissa Explains It All. So I want to I be clear that I wasn't like producing a TV show. <laughs> I worked at Melissa Joan Hart, Clarissa Explains It All, but I learned a lot about um, entertaining and, and TV. So real roots in, roots in entertainment and roots in game, and game design and roots in education. Um, and then from there, I worked for a startup company called Child U where I ran sales. Uh, we grew that company from zero to 8 million before we had an exit. That was a on-school, on-homeschool on, uh, education site, so teaching online. Uh, that got acquired by Compass Learning, where I ran sales and, and development there for seven or eight years before working for Jelly Vision. Uh, helped grow that Which company. Which is a cool company, by the way. Jelly Vision is a very cool company. Very yeah. cool company, yeah. yeah. I actually was working there when they were an agency. Is yeah, that right? Ten people, yeah, before they were a product company. We can get into that whole story if you want, but it was really early on uh, there. Um, helped them scale their business and then uh, run, ran over to Basecamp for a while and mm -hmm. finally uh, doing my own thing now. So you've had an awesome run in sales. And so I like that because like a lot of people may have just been introduced to you as with this great content and what you're doing at Sales DNA, but there was a lot of learning and a lot of stuff that led to you being able to do what you're doing so well right now. And I want to start, Josh, if we can, um, and thank you for that. I want to start with something you just said. You said something that I jotted down. I love the job to do mentality as well. I think that that's, I think that's spot on. But you said something that I want to go look at. We got a ton of sales leaders that are listening to you right now. And you said that empathy, this meant, this, this idea of empathy was the most important part. But it's yeah. maybe the most often skipped part. Yeah. Can we talk about why is it so important and maybe more important, why is it skipped and what do you do about that? Because I agree. Yeah, let's talk about it. So oftentimes what happens is we get this persona doc from marketing and it says things like, you know, they're responsible for demand generation and they're responsible for this and they're responsible for that and they're this old. And it's like real a lot of like marketing jargon. It's not like how someone would actually talk if you were to start to talk to them about their job. And the disconnect is, is that because salespeople have never done the job of the person that they're selling to, and because oftentimes they're getting language from marketing, which is not, you know, marketing's fault, um, but oftentimes there's a disconnect between the words that we're saying and what the prospect really cares about. It's a huge disconnect, which is why so many cold emails and which is why so many resp response rates are so low because of this, this disconnect. Um, imagine you're an SDR, you're coming out of college and you're calling a chief marketing officer. What do you know about their, their world and their language? It's, it's really uh, a disconnect. And they, they kind of gloss over it because everyone wants to find the perfect cold email template 
find the perfect cold call script and, and actually start calling. But when you don't speak the language of the customer, when you can't join the conversation happening inside their head, and I'll give you a couple of examples of this, um, your response rates aren't as high as they could be. I, I'll give you an example, perfect example. So I'm a, I'm a triathlete. If you knew nothing about being a triathlete and you sent me a cold email or made a cold call, you'd probably sound something like this. Josh, we got these awesome saddles. They're so comfortable. They're so much lighter. They make you go faster. And then there'd probably be a word like end-to-end in there somewhere. There'd probably be the word platform in there somewhere. But that's how you would talk if you didn't really know me. If you knew the job that I did, it would sound something like this. Hey, Josh, notice that you're doing Cozumel in November. And if you're like a lot of the people that are doing that race, you're going for six-hour bike rides on Saturday. Right at around hour three, it happens. Your lower back starts to hurt. You get some numbness and chafing. You got to kind of get out of the saddle, and it's just uncomfortable. Sometimes you have to even pull over. Chafing is a word no man wants to hear, by the way. That's right. And that's a, that, that is language of a triathlete. Yeah. And so when you can start to talk very crispy and specific about how you know, arrow bars, numbness, out of the saddle, got to get out of it, you know, chafing, like numbness, that's stuff that I experienced three hours on, on the six-hour ride. That's stuff that's very specific. And the natural question you have when you hear that is, well, what do you have for me? Yeah. Now, to your second point, how do, you, how do I get that? Um, a couple ways. So we'll go through them. Let's do it. Way, way number one is actually talk to customers that bought recently in the last 45 days using an interview technique that I learned at Basecamp called Jobs to be Done. And it's the only interview technique that I know that helps you understand the reasons why people bought. And unfortunately, you can't ask people why they bought. They won't be able to tell you. Um, if you ask someone why they bought PX90, they'll say to lose weight. But when you do jobs, you hear things like, well, I was going to my reunion and I didn't want my thighs to rub together, and I wanted to meet, like, that special guy that I knew in height. Like, you get these real mm. specific kind of nuggets. And it's yeah. an interview technique that you interview customers with to understand the chain of events that happened. Um, yeah. Making a documentary. And you're going to get this rich language. You interview, you know, five, ten people, and you'll kind of get these, these gems. And you just put those words in a Google Doc, what they're telling you. And you could use those words on your website, in your cold emails, and in your cold calls. So that's a really good way to get to know I'm your customers. Um, second way, which is also really overlooked, is discovery calls. If you have access to them, if you record them, if you're using something like a chorus, um, or if you just want to sit in them, not so much when you're doing the pitch, but that beginning of the discovery call. When you're asking questions like, hey, you know, what prompted you to want to talk to us right now? What was going on right now? What did you try that didn't work? What was working? You know, if you kind of get these moments of struggle, I call it the struggleometer. Because no one wants to talk yeah. to a salesperson until the struggle is yep. pretty high. Yep. What you'd learn is that people live with problems all the time. Problems aren't enough to inspire someone to change. Mm. It's when the problem gets intense enough. You know, I have a pixel out on my TV. It's fine until seven or eight or nine more pixels go out, and then I might buy the TV. So you start to understand as a salesperson, gee, a problem's not enough. Yeah. But to view the whole sales cycle from the buyer's perspective rather than your perspective. So those are two um, really good ways. A third like way is, is, is reading, believe it or not, Amazon reviews. Like the books that people are reading on your topic, you can sometimes glean some stuff from the reviews and the comments. Um, G2 is also a great site if your software is on there um, to understand how, how people are talking. These are awesome. So why do you think, so, so I want to make sure, I want to I go one level deeper on this. So you think 
that empathy is the most important because I love how you said having a problem is not enough. You got to have the struggleometer. So yeah. We might talk a little more about that. And the reason that it's overlooked so much is, is it, is it, is it, I think you're right. You, you talked about they can't speak the language and I have not found a salesperson that wants to look like an idiot in front of someone, right? That's right. <laughs> and, yeah. and so that's why I find like with, when I help organizations that sell multiple products, what I find is salespeople sell one or two of the eight to 10 products and it's the ones that they're the best at because they don't want to sound stupid in front of someone. Interesting. Do you think that's because they don't know the product or those people that are buying that part of the product? It's a good question. It's, I find that the answer is usually different from place to place. But what I think it is, is it's the one that they're most, they're most comfortable talking about or it's the one they get paid the best on because they've learned that one the best. Uh, that's very broad. I mean, it's, it's different with everybody, but it, it's interesting because what I think it co- comes down to is salespeople don't want to sound stupid. And I think you're onto something like most salespeople have never sat in the chair of someone. And, and I think that the idea, like, like you can't make yourself have sat in the chair if you haven't. That's why one of the reasons you're probably so good at what you do is you have sat in the chair of the person that you're talking to. I relate to that a little bit as a sales coach as well. We sell sales coaching technology, and I, I've led teams of a 1,000 reps, and I've, I've sat in that chair. And that's an advantage, and I find that customers are super appreciative when they meet the person who can t- talk their language more than theoretically. And so I like what you said about uh, talking to customers, picking the right words, going and breaking down your discovery cards, and even reading those things. Is that something that you can practice to get better at sounding? I mean, is that something that you, 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 you give people like a blueprint? Here's how you practice speaking the language of the customer or getting so you can be more adept at something that you haven't personally done yet. Is there any? Yeah, I, th- I think like when you learn any language by being immersed in it, mm. you learn it. Like, so like Dan Kennedy uh, is no longer with us, but he was a great copywriter and he did all the ads. I'm going to date myself, but there was this acne medication back in the eighties called proactive. Yeah, I'm dating myself too. I remember it. Remember that stuff? So that yeah. was, he did all the copy for that. Now, this was a 60-year-old guy. Wow. And when you learn about his process, he would read tons of teen magazines. He would read tons of books that teens were reading, teen girls were reading. He would watch movies that teen girls were watching, listen to the music. He had a wall of all this stuff to immerse himself in their world, which is why he was so great at copy. Mm. Like, you could do that too. I mean, what what podcasts are your prospects listening to? Love it. You know, what, what are they reading? What are they, what, what conferences are they going to? Um, and then the bigger, you know, the big piece to this too is you have to have a reason for actually reaching out. And the only reason that really matters, just like jobs to be done is people never want to stand still. They're always open to self-betterment. So you have to understand the before. You have to understand where they are and how you think you can help them do something better in terms of kicking more ass at their job, I call it the infomercial, right? There's a black, I'm in the kitchen trying to make French fries with a knife. The potatoes are soggy. The kitchen's a mess. If only this person knew about the potato peeler 3000, like you really have to know (laughs) that, that you have to be able to see that black and white version. And this is where salespeople uh, need to work on a little bit, right? Because when I talk to salespeople and I try to get that black and white version and I want to clearly see it, like they got this knife, it's about six inches big. And they got this potato, they're trying to hold it, it's moving around, and it's, they're trying to slice it, it's getting all messed up in the kitchen. Like, that's how cre- clear and crispy you have to see the film. And so how do you do that? You, you, another tip, see if you can go on site and just watch people work. Mm, that's hey, a I'll, really can, good one. Can I, yeah. can I just watch what's going on? We want to, you know, serve you better. And you can, never, you, know, you can never get to know your customer well enough. 
That's a great drop. I want to stop on that one. You can never get to know your customer well enough. You know, we've not, we've had a lot of great leaders like yourself come on here and talk on our podcast, but that's a really strong statement. You can never get to know them well enough. So if you think you know your customer, you still don't know them well enough. That's right. That's never, <laughs> it's never over. And so that's a great thing for, I mean, even at the leadership level, forget about your reps as a sales leader, you still don't know your customer well enough, right? Don't, I, I, I'm never done learning about my customer and I'm never done trying to think of ways that I can help them do something better in a new and different way. Mm, I, I can't it. bring people like, you know, when I, when I would sell, when I close like Geico, Verizon principal, like these are companies, you, the only way to get attention is to know the customer, but also bring something new to the table and communicate it in a way that's interesting, which we'll get into. But that, that's the other big thing is like, I can't come with them with the same message. I'm going to help you increase your conversion rates. Yeah. It's just tired and it's not different. Yeah. So we have to be able to have a new angle. People are attracted to new. I mean, the word different, you know, these are, these are words that, you know, new ideas. A lot of times in my, in my cold call scripts, I use that word all the time in my talk tracks when I train people is this word of, you know, new ideas, new perspectives um, for helping you X. And so you have to, you have to, and, and there has to be some substance behind that. It does in fact have to be something new and interesting that they may not have heard of before. So let's shift and go into that kind of direction a little bit because I'm excited to talk to you about that. I, count me as one of those guys that thinks the most important skill in the sales process is the prospecting skill. I, 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 totally I just don't – yeah, you can't close something unless you find it first. And by the way, that's why you, I'm on the side of the argument that says if someone can originate it, they can also close it. You know, I, I think that you know, there's lots of businesses where the SDRAE handoff makes sense. But if I had to choose, I would say I would rather have people who know how to identify and start opportunities. Because once you've got someone that has said, raise their hands and I'm in, the rest of it's a lot more fun and it's a lot easier. Well, I got this, I got this saying, uh, we could, you know, to be a better closer, be a better opener. And so the, the, the yes. idea, yeah, the idea, the idea here too, we can, we can kind of get into this. It's a little bit of a different topic, but you know, when you, um, I have found that in order to be a better closer, you actually have to, produce some content and give away some free stuff um, that increases your perceived value of you're the person that can take me to the promised land. Let me show you what I mean by that. So I was in the mall the other day and I was walking by Annie's pretzels, which is like a pretzel place. They sell buttery goodness. And they sell, they, they give away these free samples, these bites. And sometimes I take one and I don't go, but then the next time I come, I'm like, God, that was a really good bite. I'm going to in the mood for a pretzel. What can you give away that's the equivalent of having a bite earlier in the sales process so that people can get a sense of what you're doing? Like, so for me, I do a lot of webinars. My LinkedIn posts are my invisible salespeople, right? So a lot of this content that you see on my feed, by the time people come to me, they've already gotten a taste of how I see the world. Um, what can you actually send people before the discovery call that's a little bit of an education or offer or something that is going to give them the free pretzel bite of you? So that when they get on the phone, they're like, wow, that was a really good pretzel bite. Like what else? The, the whole pretzel might taste even better. What other, what other things do you have? Gosh, that was a really interesting perspective. You had on the biggest mistakes people make about cold email. Like what, what do you have? And this doesn't right. have to be fancy. As a sales rep, you can create a four or five slide presentation, record over it. Could be an article you write, but send it in advance. And you'll notice that when they get on the call, the whole dynamic changes. Um, so I know we're, we're kind of off on a different. Mm, you know, this is awesome. Track, this is awesome. Interesting. Yeah, this is awesome. So I like that. That's a really good – so sales leaders that are listening right now that are in charge of building high-performing organizations, 
if you want to be someone that helps your leader, your reps uh, have higher success rates or be more efficient, more bang for buck on every dial or every opportunity, find ways to be the pretzel. What's my Annie's pretzel moment? Yes, yes, that's right? exactly it. That's exactly it. What's my Annie's pretzel moment? It could be a lot of different things, but that's something that, you know, I've heard like a guy that you probably know well, Jocko Vanderkoy, yeah. like Jocko says, content is the fuel. And so totally. literally this is what you're saying. It's fuel, yes. consuming it. And it's fueling this. You told me that the whole dialogue changes afterwards. So literally, quite literally, it fueled that. Absolutely. hundred percent agree. I mean, SaaS software does this well. You know, Jason Fried over at Basecamp, they, they give you these free trials. You can kind of see essentially how can you give your, your prospects a free trial? It doesn't have to be from your software. Your free trial is you and your perspective and your point of view. Got it. So is that something that you think people struggle at? Are, is there, are, are there like, is that easier said than done? Is it like, cause you already gave a great example on how to do it. It doesn't have to be a trial. I'm glad you said that because too many salespeople just like, Oh, I have to give them this free trial. And like, that actually scares me. Like when you easy come is almost always easy go is my experience. Yeah, so a great example of this, you know, chefs, Mario Batali gets on TV from time to time and he teaches you, like, how to cook. He's giving yep. away his recipes for free. He's teaching you how to cook. When you go shopping for cookware and you see his stuff, you're kind of drawn to it because he's the one that's been teaching you. Okay. If you're teaching people things that are making them smarter, they're going to be drawn to you. It's the only reason you and I are talking today. <laughs> and so if you, could, if you could teach your prospect something and just by turning on your camera – and just sharing your perspective on a couple of things they care about, some trends, and you're doing it in an interesting way. You know, Sarah Groves does an excellent job of this. Um, there's a lot of thought, you know, a lot of people on LinkedIn that are doing great. Study them. You know, the, the I teach my wife sales thing is another example. Yeah. Study them. And then what does that look like for you? What can you send your prospects in advance to, as you, as you said, uh, Rob, be that the little pretzel bite, you know, five minutes. And then Google like webinar topics. Oh, that's look, at, look at like medium titles. Five biggest mistakes of, and just slot your thing in there. Like, what are your prospects? What webinars are they going to? What are the titles? What's your perspective on your take on that? And kind of like steal this, not the words, but the structure yeah. of this. And then just tweak it for your thing. And what two-minute thing can you send in advance of the meeting? Maybe you send two or three things. And then by the time they get on the call with you, they're going to be like, wow, dude, that was an interesting perspective. And, and then you can put that stuff on your feed as well. When you connect with them on first on LinkedIn, they're going to just see that stuff during the nurturing track, because from an outbound perspective, nobody's buying right away anyway. And that's so right. when they get off the phone with you, they're going to just cut, they kind of see you and you'll be top of mind. I love it. So that's awesome. So now I want to go to another word that you use on your content a lot. And now that I got you on our show, I can't wait to get it on it because I love it. You've, you've mentioned it twice on our conversation, but before we even got together, you, this is something that I, I, when you said it, I'm like, yeah, that's something I know Josh for. So let's talk about being crispy. I, yeah. The only one I've ever heard use that yeah. term. It is for yeah. sure a Joshism. Okay? Yes. And I want to talk about what does it mean, and more important, how do leaders help their reps become crispy? Yeah, so you've probably been on the receiving end of emails and cold calls that sound like this. We're going to help save you time. We're going to help save you money. We're going to increase your conversion rates. I've been on the recipient of emails that say, Josh, love your podcast. These are what I call really generic messages. Yep. Meaning they don't really mean anything. <laughs> you know, we are a end-to-end -end platform. And so when you talk in a very generic way, you're not joining the conversation happening in the prospect's mind. And you sound just like another as an advertising legend David Trott says, white circle in a sea of white circles. 
So the opposite of that is when you're specific. So let me give you an example of generic and specific, and then we'll talk about how to do it. So generic, Josh, love your podcast. Specific, Josh, I recently listened to your podcast with Beck Holland. I really loved what you talked about, about how to have adult-to-adult conversations with prospects and call out in the elephant in the room. In particular, the example you guys gave when someone said, send me some information was pure gold. I'm using that next week. Specific. Bam. Yeah, bam. Specific. We we see this all the time with what I call fake flattery in emails, right? Fake fake flattery. Loved your book. Loved your podcast. And so to be more specific or crispy, I have to what I like call have some oomph behind it. It's got to be specific detail. And so how do you get specific detail? Couple ways. Um, actually listen to the actual podcast episode and pull out something that you actually found interesting. Right. The prospect actually have those conversations that we talked about. And when you listen to the discovery calls, when you listen to the podcast that they're listening to, when you're reading what they're reading, you're going to start to get their, their crispy language that they're using. So not crispy. We help you manage projects. So I see the cold email. You know, we, we, I got 15 of those this morning before I have gotten this podcast with you, brother. That's the problem. That's yeah. the problem. So rather than taking a look at the prospect did they write something that ladders back to what you do? Did they say something on their LinkedIn profile that ladders back what to, to what you do? Start with a crispy set. Josh, notice that you are doing Iron Man Cozumel in November. And it's like your first Iron Man race. That's got my attention. Rob, notice down your profile that you are responsible for this. I did that same exact gig over at Y. That's going to get your attention because you're relevant. Yeah. And that's crispy, right? It's, yeah. it's and so you have to find those nuggets. How do you find them? You talk to customers. You look, I mean, dude, back when you and I were coming up, Rob, there was no LinkedIn. Nope. Like we, you, you can go find this stuff out, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn. People are actually writing what they do on their profile. They're describing like how great they are and what they're interested in on their profiles. And you could take that and use that as a basis for starting conversations with people, not in a fake way. And I don't want you to think, how do I scale it? You don't have to scale it. Um, just find, find 30, 40 people that you're really interested in, that you read their profile. Like, God, I get this person. I think I know how to take them to the, a version of better. And I'm going to start my communication off with something that I noticed about them specifically in a crispy way. And then I'm going to ladder that to how I can help it. And that's the other kind of key piece to this is you can't say, Josh, notice you went to Florida State. By the way, I sell podcast software. Like, there's no... There's no linkage there. So you have to be able to link it together. But that's a, a way to get the crispy stuff is to mine the profiles for language, yeah. talk to customers, and use their words. So we got about, about 10, 13, 14 more minutes left on this, and then we'll start wrapping up. I want to spend as much of that 10 to 14 minutes as we can. You've given some really cool stuff. I love your, your intro to being crispy. I love your, your thoughts on differentiation. I'm going to date myself. An old, old, one of my first sales books I read is called Differentiate or Die. I'm looking at it right now. That's an old school writing. Like today, it's so much. Is that like pre, pre, pre Zig Ziglar or? Bro, it's an old book that I'm looking at at my book, like, on my bookshelf right now. All these 20 year olds listening to this are like, God, these two old guys talking about books. What's a book? (laughs) What is a book? I listen to podcasts, (laughs) listen to audibles. Yeah. Um, so I love how you're, you're like modern day differentiation. You've given some killer stuff right now. Okay. What I want to talk about is how do we now package some of these things up? If I'm a sales leader, I don't care if it's in a one-on-one or if it's my approach to building my org, 
What are some things that you would suggest sales leaders do to ensure that it's not just one or two people are crispy or are differentiated or are Annie's, right, uh, pretzels? What do you do if you're a leader, if you want to change your game and now become this leader that has an impact on the eight to 10 people on your one group, or maybe you're a senior leader that has a larger scope of control? Anything you would suggest? These are really important things for leaders to do to activate these topics you've talked about. Three things. Okay. Let's go through three things. Yeah, let's do it. Thing number one is celebrate when they're happening. Like, so when you see an example of somebody doing it really well, like call that person out and explain why it was awesome. Caught you doing something good, right? Yeah, like can never do that enough, right? Um, Thing number two is steal like an artist. It's the name of a famous book. Like who's doing this stuff really well? Start a swipe file. So give me an example. There's this guy, Dale Dupree. Um, yeah, love him. You know, you know yeah. this copier salesman guy, number yeah. one in the state of Florida for 10 years, but he calls himself the copier warrior. Yep. He wields a sword. And when he reaches out to people, he doesn't make a cold call. He doesn't send a cold email. He sends what looks like a brick. It's actually a sponge in the mail with a note oh. on it. It says, if your copy machine's ever jammed up and you felt like throwing a brick at it but didn't want to lose your job, you can use this instead. Here's directions. Put it in your right hand, <laughs> aim, fire, and call me. I'm Dale Dupree, the copier warrior. Uh, just the reaction that you're having is the reaction that his prospects, it's no, it's no you know, coincidence that the guy's been a number one salesperson. So this idea of being creative and, sell it and, and as a sales leader, bringing that in for inspiration and showing that to people and saying yeah. like, hey, what would this look like for us? Dale Dupree is the only copier salesman that I know that actually has his own commercial. Like if you go to copierwarrior.com, you'll start to see this stuff. What are examples of people and brands being creative and standing out and using crispy language? You'll notice when you watch Dale's commercial, and if you just transcribe the commercial, which is what I did, you know, just send the commercial to Rev and they'll transcribe it for you and you study it. Study the, not, not going to copy his words, but you are going to study the structure. Mm. Study structures Love it. of the great copywriters and study structures of people like Dale Dupree and brands like Jaeger that are being creative and then say, like, what would this look like for us to do? So before you get to number three, Josh, I have to push pause because yeah. I think that this is genius. The first one, celebrate when they happen. I love that. But this one, still like an artist yeah. and looking at structures, I think that this is something that very few sales leaders actually do. I think that we have so many things and we are so run by the number that we push the more button and we stop pushing the how button. Okay. And so I think the structure thing, I've never heard someone say that. Like I've been talking about pushing the how button forever. But looking at the structure for the way that you engage or the way that you differentiate or the way that you get crispy, I love it. Uh, that's, that's really, really smart. Well, another and example, like I, I had to do with this webinar for Sales Hacker a week ago, and I needed a catchy webinar title. Like I'm not going to go think of a webinar title by myself. I'm looking at BuzzFeed. Yep. I'm looking at Medium, and I'm looking at structures. Like one of them was ever get uh, – it was on BuzzFeed, ever get tongue-tied talking to a girl. So I'm like, that was an interesting one. So I just took it and said, ever get tongue-tied when prospects raise an objection. And that's actually the name of my webinar. I that's didn't awesome. like, so again, you study the structures, subject lines, you know, read, look at the great first, look at great books, how they first, the first sentence of a great book, like Google the great books and look at those first sentences. Can you, can you take that and bend it and steal the structure and then start a swipe file of all this stuff, meaning a document with examples and just have people keep adding to it. And then celebrate when people are actually doing it, even if it doesn't result in a meeting, you know, right away, because it does take a while to book a meeting in this, in this age. Just celebrate when it's happening. 
What I love is that you just called it a swipe file. So, yes. so that, that means it's something that a leader is actively working on because yes. then they can be relevant to their team on how to help them have greater impact. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that's the, the, the third tip is for the leader to actually create the swipe file and contribute to it, like be in there with the people. So I go to the track to train for this triathlon that I'm doing, and I, I see this coach out there all the time. He's like my age, like 50 years old. But he's actually going over the hurdles with these college kids. Like, I I've never gone over a hurdle, but it looks freaking hard. He's not standing <laughs> at the sidelines. So the third tip is, like, get in there. You build so much more credibility when you're actually going over the hurdles with your team, whether that's making a cold call. Like, when I coach, I go in and I sit with SDRs and I make cold calls with them. So as, an, as a sales leader, we talk about being different, being crispy, being creative. Like, get in there and bring, bring it. Like, hey, guys, I found this this weekend. Look at this great example that, you know, Jeremy Laville, another great guy to follow. Over yeah, Jeremy's awesome. Yeah. Does a lot of creative things. Like, he should be on your radar. What, is he, what did he do? Can I steal that? You know, can I steal the structure? I don't mean steal the exact words. Right. I mean steal the structure. I just wrote an email to Chris Voss of Never Split the Difference. I, I saw that. I saw that getting ready for this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, so he, he uh, got back to me. And I don't have a big reach. Like, I'm not CNN. But, like, take a look. And I've posted a couple emails over the last couple of days. Don't rip off the exact words. But take the, like, the, I, it's a structure. Take the structure, see what I'm doing there with the language, how casual it is, see the beats. I'm in the 12-bar blues. Stay within the 12-bar blues, but improvise <laughs> in, in, in between there. Yeah, that's awesome. Those are three good. So as a leader, get more proactive about celebrating. Um, number two, get more proactive about stealing structures. And then I would say that number three I love it. Get in there is what you said. Yeah. And bring it. Get but help them use those structures. Don't yeah. talk about it in training. Yeah. As a best practice, let's see how it goes. Yeah. Actually get in there. You know, I, I think that's where the rubber meets the road. I think too many sales leaders lose their skills uh, because they're too busy managing reports and spreadsheets and bullshit like that. You got to get in there, man. Yeah. You got to get in there and make the calls. Create, you know, you got to do, do stuff. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Yeah, let's talk about that though. I'm getting in there. Here's what I want. I want to tell you what my observations is. So, again, for your benefit, we work with sales leaders in 52 countries around the world with with sales coaching technology. And sometimes they ask for help on coaching themselves, even though we're more of a tech company. Um, here's one of the things that I've learned. I've found that sometimes when sales leaders get in there, in their uh, excitement of doing the job, sometimes they they completely take over rather mm. than coaching and teaching. What I found is sometimes they try and just do the job. What are your thoughts on that? Is it sometimes appropriate? Is it never appropriate? I mean, any thoughts on that? I love it. I have this thing like, pass the ball, don't take the shot all the time. Oh, say that right. again. So you're talking to, so so you're talking to a Utah Jazz fan right, over here. Right, Stockton Malone, right. man. I saw your football stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. so pass the, so, hey, the cold call went bad. Rather than trying to solve the problem, hey, what do you think went wrong there? I don't know. Yeah, but if you had to guess, like, what do you think you could have improved? So, Instead of just solving the problem, saying, hey, you should have done X, Y, and Z. Yeah. There are times, I think, where you model. Like we, I learned this when I used to teach. I agree with this. Keep going. I love what you're saying. So as a teacher, when we teach a skill, it's called scaffolded instruction. For all you teachers out there are familiar with this. You, you, you show how to do it, and then you start to relinquish control slowly. Right. So you demonstrate the skill, and then you maybe release some of the instruction, and you let them practice it um, a little bit at a time. Uh, BJ Fogg, who's a famous behavioral economics calls it, you know, flossing one tooth. If you wanted someone to floss all their teeth and they never flossed all their teeth before, you don't say floss all your teeth, yeah. you one tooth. Love and so it. you model it and you show it. 
and then you start to pass it over. So you have to have both of those tools in your toolkit. You have to have the ability to lead and, and do the work and model it. And then you have to have the ability to, to pass the ball when you uh, need to so you don't actually solve the problem. So what there's, I want to finish this, and then I'm going to go back for it because we do have a couple more minutes. And there's something I have, I have my list of notes I was taking as you were talking that I want to get back to. It's another Joshism. I love your I love your terms that you bring to the game. By the way, I love it. Dude. Thanks. Um, Thanks. So on this bring it part, number three, bring it, get in there. Yeah. Get in I there. believe that reps when they're talking to prospects, if you're not like enthusiastic and positive about the ways you can help, the best that I've ever think. A prospect can only be half as excited about what you do as you are, so you better be pretty excited without being stupid about it, right? Um, same thing, I think, as a leader. If a leader can't be excited about doing the job that the reps are doing, how can they expect their leaders to be actually enthusiastic about doing that job? Any thoughts on on, on that as as important part or skill or 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 thing that a leader does? Yeah, I, I, we got to be a little careful. I, I do agree that we have to be positive, but I think sometimes we, we have a tendency to be overly hypey. I would agree. Um, and, and sometimes people can kind of pick up on the, you know, overly hypey language. Uh, so I'm a little bit let me, more. Let me interrupt you. Of, what I'm talking about is that you're willing to do the job. Like if you're not willing to do the job, how can you expect reps to do the job? I, That's I agree. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I 100% agree with that. And there's a contrary view to that, which is, hey, I'm not. You know, my job is to make the basketball players better. I'm not there to, like, be a better basketball player. But I, I really disagree with that view. I think whenever I've been taught something, like, I want to know that if I'm hiring a personal trainer, they can actually do some pull-ups. Right. <laughs> they can actually do, do, do stuff. I would never hire a personal trainer that wasn't in shape. Um, you know, I, I, like, I personally just like to see people that are actually doing the job. I've always learned better that way. I've always had much more respect. And people have had much more credibility when I could see them actually playing. I, I had a guitar teacher. If the guy couldn't really play the guitar, I'm like, eh, but this guy wasn't like, I would watch him on stage and like, that's freaking, that's my guitar teacher up there. He's freaking yeah. awesome. Yeah. So it fires me up. Yeah. So that, see, I, I think that's a big thing. And I think that not enough re- leaders get that right. Either they take over and they don't teach anything because yeah. they just yeah. do it, or they stay on the sidelines with the clipboard in their hands and they say, Hey, I think this is how you make a tackle, but they actually couldn't go out there and tackle. Something. But this goes back to kind of what we said. Just because you've been promoted to be a coach doesn't necessarily mean you know how to coach. It's a skill. Amen. Yeah. Just like because you know how to do math doesn't necessarily mean you can teach math in ways that will motivate people to care and want to learn more. So teaching and coaching is another skill like prospecting, like objection handling, like what are you doing to level up how you teach? So I, I think about how to teach all the time. The whole I teach my wife sales thing is architected based on how people learn. I could present that information in lots of different ways. So you have to really, there's a great book called The Art of Explanation. Like teaches you how to explain things. And it turns out that we've never been taught how to explain and how to teach and how to coach. And so level up your teaching skills. Level up, like if I'm a sales leader, the number one book I'm reading is How Do People Learn? Like, I know we're going to get into this in your three questions because you yeah. prepped me before, but that's like, how do people learn? If I'm a sales coach and I don't know how people learn, I'm not going to be an effective sales coach. Okay. I'm going to ask you the one follow-up now. You're Josh, I could talk to you for hours. It's a bummer that I got to try and have this thing be done in 45 <laughs> minutes and then we wrap up. And so we're at that time, but I got, I can't, I can't do this without asking us. Let's do one it. One of your Josh-isms that I love is the struggleometer. Struggleometer. You talked about it. I didn't go deep on it because I wanted to come, but I think it, like you said, it might be the most important part. It's not enough to have a pain. How much do I struggle? Can you give a leader, how does a leader use a struggleometer? How do I use that for like, 
helping them get better early in, in the cycle? How do I use the struggleometer if I'm finding out if a deal's real? Any thoughts on that that you would give our listeners? Yeah, so let me tell you the problem that struggleometer solves. The problem that struggleometer solves is sales reps wasting time chasing and opportunities that aren't ready to close now because ultimately you're in the business to close deals this quarter. Yep. So the struggleometer solves that problem pretty much completely. And again, just a, a quick refresher, the problem alone isn't enough. I have right. a barbecue, only half of it works, but I'm only cooking for my wife and I. So I just move the salmon over to the left <laughs> side of the grill and I'm good. Yep. If my wife said, we got to have a party or a rep said, hey, are you aware that that other side, you could have a propane leak and it could blow up your face? Like my struggle is going to get higher. So reps can help people like find it. problems, you know, but if the struggleometer is low, um, deals aren't going to close because you cannot motivate people. If the motivation is not there, and we can talk about how to do this, no amount of sales persuasion or no amount of discounting is going to move people. So how do you know people where they are in the struggleometer? When you're on a discovery call, one of the great questions you can ask is, tell me a little bit about what inspired you to talk today and how long you've been looking at this. What have you tried? What haven't you tried? And you're going to start to hear, well, this is my, God, we've been looking at this for three freaking months. And we've tried X. We've tried Y. We've tried, oh, they're kind of, what happens? Like, can't you just keep doing what you're doing now? Like, why do you need direct dials? Well, we need to talk to more people. Well, but yeah, but if you don't talk to more people, what's the big deal? Well, I, I'll lose my job because we're not like getting enough pipeline. Oh, and you've been looking for three months. Ah, they're, they're kind of in the red zone. <laughs> Versus someone that's like, oh, this, I'm just kind of looking around and I don't know, we're, we got this thing. It's pretty much, we're just looking to reduce the cost. And I don't even know if it's an initiative for us. I'm in the green zone. And if they're in the green zone or yellow zone, we got to get out in a nice, graceful way. Yeah. Put them in our nurture track, which for me is my LinkedIn feed, and then we're off to someone else. Like it's, and there's a skill in that, knowing where they are and not forcing it. And the key to it is to be indifferent to the outcome. Hmm. Hey, if we if we get this opportunity, to the outcome. That's, yeah, like that's an big. Yeah, have an abundance mindset. Like if I get it, great. If I don't get it, great. It's cool. Um, you know, I have to have a lot of opportunity. But but where we get into trouble is where we think every single person we talk to is high enough on the struggleometer that they're going to close, and we force it. I just did a pipeline review last week with a team that had 50 deals in the pipeline. Like, I, and I get, I, and we went through them, and I'm like, 90% of these, I could tell you right now, are not closing. Hmm. They're not closing. Because of the struggleometer. Because of the struggleometer. Now, that doesn't mean you can't nurture them, but I don't want them in my CEOs or my VPs of sales line of sight right now. I only want these. And let's start defining that. And, and that, that's the concept. And that's when you start, that's jobs comes in again, right? Jobs to be done lets you see it from the buyer's perspective so you don't get this happy ears. Oh, my God, they asked me to send me a proposal. It's going to yeah. close. I'm like, not necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. That's good. We could have another episode just on that. That's that's a really good introduction to that, Josh. Yeah. I, I love, like I said, I love the way you break down our profession. I think that we're part of the world's greatest profession. When it, you know, Absolutely. And, yeah. I, I, it's more. guys like you that make me feel that way. So thank you so much. And vice versa, man. You're doing some great things too, my man. Well, thank you. Let's go to the rapid fire. Three questions. Fast. Ready? Number one. Wait, can I plead the fifth? Is this like Andy Cohn on the Housewives? No. Okay. Sorry, bro. You got to answer. Uh, let's do it. Right, let's go. <laughs> you got to do it. Number one, biggest sales leadership challenge that you see and how do you beat it? Biggest sales leadership challenge I see is how to start conversations with different, difficult to get a hold of people. And the way you beat it is you become the cherry ice cream in the sea of white vanilla. I love it. Love it. Good answer. That's a good one. Differentiation. Number two, uh, fan favorite. This is by their common, uh, but by their popular demand. When you're interviewing reps, 
do you have a go-to interview question or is there a go-to like topic you've got to get to know that someone is, is the right person? So I love coachability. Okay. And so what I'll do is I will have the rep do a mock cold call to me, provide that rep with one piece of feedback and see if the rep, when he makes the call back again to me, can incorporate that feedback in to the follow-up call. That's okay. awesome. No one said that one yet. That's like an awesome that. one. I like that. Yeah. Is that, is that a fun one to see? It's got to be fun. A lot, a lot of fun. A lot yeah. of fun. It's got to be fun. Last one, man. You've already alluded to it. Yeah. We find that readers are leaders. And in today's book, you're right. They may not be page turners. It may be audibles. It may be podcasts. Is there something that for our listeners that want to extend their leadership journeys or something to say, get this into your head, read this, listen to this. How people learn. Okay. That's the name of the book. And there's like three or four of them that are in that topic, but study how people learn so that you can teach more effectively and coach more effectively. Josh, this has been outstanding. We are out of time. But, brother, how do they get more of you? If they want to pick up the conversation and get it going, if they want to learn how sales DNA can help them be the cherry versus the world of vanilla, if they want to keep talking to you, how do they do it? So uh, joshbraun.com or salesdna.co. You can book some time with me anytime, and then my LinkedIn feed is always where I produce my content. Yeah, and follow that LinkedIn feed. You'll find me echoing that. When I see stuff from Josh coming up, I always, I always stop and I read it, and I'm better as a result when I do. So, Josh, thank you for what you do our profession. Thanks for what you've done for our podcast. Uh, and as we say to everyone, man, happy selling. Thanks for having me, Rob. I appreciate it. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of a sales leadership podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? And this conversation with Josh Braun was every bit as good as I thought it would be and then some. Right? You guys know me, my favorite three words are and then some. And Josh brought the and then some moments to this interview today. Listen, Josh, if you don't follow him, you heard me say it twice on the show. I'm going to say it again now. You know, Solve that problem right now. Go follow him on LinkedIn. Go check out his stuff. Uh, the, the dude is legit. The dude is awesome. I, I love the way he breaks down the principles that make someone successful in sales. We can learn a lot from him as an individual contributor. We can also learn a lot from him as a sales leader. Josh has two words that I called Josh-isms on the show today. And I really want to emphasize them in our So What Today. The two words that Josh used that I, I call Josh-isms are crispy and then struggleometer. And so if you take two things away from this, this conversation today, take away the idea of being crispy and take away the idea of the struggleometer. And you're going to want to go back and listen to this one a couple times. You're going to want to take some notes. I would advise you to reach out to Josh when you have questions. I think that Josh started off with the crispy conversation in a way that I thought was really cool when he said that the, the biggest question, maybe the biggest challenge, the biggest reason that salespeople struggle is it comes down to how well do they speak the language of their customer. And the fact is that very few salespeople have actually sat in the chair of the person they're selling to. It's a big advantage if you have. Um, if you've actually done that job and been in that role, you have a huge advantage. But for many people that are salespeople today that, that, that are on your sales team, people that you're leading, people that you're trying to help become successful, they don't have the benefit of having been in there. And your ability to help these salespeople learn to speak their language, and not just speak their language, but if you go back to the Doug Landis conversation, speak with the customer's voice. If you can do that, then all of a sudden the job changes and it goes fast. And I think that the problem is we worry about this word we call messaging all the time. What's your messaging? And messaging, I think, has good intention, but we didn't worry about are we just saying the right words. We need to take that up a notch as leaders and make sure that 
our members of our team can actually have that conversation about what it's like to sit in that chair. And not because they've just done it, because you know most of the time you can't. But I loved his idea of applying the job to be done mentality. There's a you know, Josh brought that to this to this podcast. There's there's a couple of people who talk about that. He talked about how he learned that. Go learn about the job to be done mentality. What's the job they need to hire you for? I loved the story of him as a triathlete on a on a whatever the the biking distance is. Um, and he talks about an hour three how you start to worry about chafing. And as soon as he said that word chafing, I even said. You know, that's a word no man wants to hear. And so what's your version of that for sales? How do you start talking about the things that no customer of yours wants to hear? How do you start getting their attention and demonstrating to them that you understand what really matters to them? And he finished that off, you know, this whole crispy conversation around the concept that you never will know your customer well enough. I love that mindset. He even went one step farther to say it's never over, okay? So, so that was the first thing. And, 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 and the way that you do that is through differentiation. Uh, I, I think that too often we make assumptions on what's better or what's worse. I think that what we really need to do is not be the hype machine that says we're the greatest, we're number one, we're the best. What we need to be able to know is why we're different and then why that matters. And if we can have conversations around why you're different and why that matters, you can have a really good chance of being crispy, as Josh said. Okay. Um, so get, get specific. You know, I, 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 th- I thought this whole conversation on being specific instead of general was really good. And that's what led to the strugglometer. Your ability to be uh, specific and, and do it in a way that matters is going to come down to how well you use the strugglometer. And, and go back and listen to that. It's, it's, that's the only way you'll know if what you're different at matters. And then he spent some great time talking about stealing structure. Uh, in, in, in creating structure around how you message around these things that matter on the struggleometer. And I, I loved it. I loved how he shared some stories around his webinar titles, getting Chris Voss. But the whole thing comes down to at the very end when he had his three things that a sales leader could do to help institutionalize this. I, I thought that thing three, if all we talked about was that, it's worth listening to Josh Braun just for thing three. When he talked about the coach that would get out and go over hurdles with the people that he was training. And so my question to you is, can you get out and go over the hurdles with your reps? Or are you asking your reps to do things that you might have done once before, but in today's modern environment, maybe you can and maybe you can't? My advice, be able to get over those hurdles. Be able to do every single part of the job. And I love the energy he brought when he talked about it. He said, get in there and bring it. Right? Do you have a bring it mentality as a leader? Are you getting in there and are you enjoying the getting in there? I'm telling you, I think that's the f- most fun part of the job. I'll, I'll use a bad word. It's the funnest part of the job. Um, get in there. Have some fun. Demonstrate your passion that you can do that. Show that you understand how to make that struggleometer rise to the very top and, and blow up. Show that you can be crispy because you've sat in that chair and you, and if you haven't sat in that chair, you understand that chair and you can talk about it. And if you do those two things and you do them well and you do them consistently, not only will your team do better, but you will become that legendary leader that helps your teams do things that they might not have been able to do on their own. Josh, thanks for joining us, brother. Uh, Josh is amazing. Uh, it was a fantastic episode. I hope you go back and listen to it multiple times. I hope you'll reach out and let me know what you like, who you want to hear from. Uh, keep giving us those five-star uh, reviews. If you haven't yet, go give us one. Uh, 
And again, remember, uh, if we go into the end of the year and you're pushing, uh, there's no need to worry. Just execute, and we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform for Salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com. <laughs>